So I just freestyled the poem about why I love poetry, essentially, and what connects me to it. Right. Can you remember a couple lines? Um, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> We would like to acknowledge that we are on stolen Yagara and Turbul lands, and as settlers of colour, we reflect upon the damaging legacy of colonisation. Always was, always will be. Hi everyone, my name is Huda the Goddess and I'm a spoken word poet slash dancer. There's a lot extended bio that I could give. I'm an illiterate person who then became a writer. I'm a creative um, in multitude of different spaces, but poetry, spoken word, slam, dance, freestyle, Afro, those are kind of my pockets. So, right, yeah. right. Nice, nice. And so this last year has seen you get the crown, like, or in the last, what is it, like two years? Yeah, like a yeah. year and a half. Yeah, because mm. of COVID extensions. Mm. And have a certain, you've put a certain pressure on yourself to do things whilst you've had that opportunity. Mm. Tell me about what that year has been like. Yeah, well, I, I won my first title during like COVID, like my first state title. Um, and that was a shock to me because I had done the state championship before. Yeah. And that was the year I was like fully ready. I was like, yeah, this poem is like close to my heart. Yeah. I talked about censorship of black women and our voices and our stories. And, you know, I felt really connected. And then I had lost. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn. And then not to be a hater, I mm. saw the the person that won. And as much as I was happy for them, mm. um, I didn't have an answer for why I didn't win, mm. which bothered me. And I was mm. like, is this ego? Like, am I, do I think I'm greater than I really am? And is this person delivering something that I have not mastered yet? So I was like, okay, cool. Maybe I need to go back in the lab and figure out what I did wrong. But I actually just gave up. I was like, I really don't care about this title anymore. And I don't want the title anymore. All right. And then the next year afterwards, um, Voices of Color was like, we're going to host, you know, like the heat. And I was just like, oh, dope. Like, I'm always going to be a Voices of Color because we need more elevation of people of color's voices. Right. So I went in and they're like, we need somebody to represent and make it to the state championship that is a black or brown body. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll compete. And if I make it with a VOC heat, um, just know that I don't care. <laughs> like, just just know I'm going to, I'm there just to like, take a seat up. Mm. that's really it so when i did it the that year afterwards i had written no poem i had not gone prepared i had just gone in there to occupy a body and i went in with what i do is like i have a story that will come out at this event so i wrote something randomly while i was having conversations with people back <laughs> backstage yeah. to be honest with you i don't even remember what the poem was i there was there was a poem that i wrote about my mother and like domestic violence that I grew up seeing was the first time I talked about my mom. But I think that was my second win, actually. So I don't even remember what the first one was. Right. I think I think I talked about body autonomy. I don't know. This is this is how you know I had no like connection to that win at all. Um, so I did my performance in Anissa and was actually one of the MCs. Mm. So I did my event and I was backstage like eating, just chilling, vibing. And when they announced the winner, I wasn't even paying attention. And like Anissa had given me that like you know, that smile, you know, like sis, like I'm looking at her and I'm like, what are you, what are you smiling about? She's about yeah. to announce the winner. And she's smiling at me and I'm like, just chatting. I'm not paying attention to anything. And then they call my name. I'm like, oh, damn, this, this is it. All right, cool. Sweet. <laughs> so I had one state that year. And then that was really during like 
I think that was the year we were coming out of COVID and I won with a lovely brown woman who be, who was actually my runner up. Uh -huh. So it was, I think one of the first years I'd seen a black woman and then a woman of color win. Yeah. Two women. Right. Um, win that event, win that whole thing. So that was really- And it was the year it was hosted by Voices of Color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was mm. one of those like heats. Um, so it was really, really dope. And that year we got ready for nationals, like super seriously, like- seriously like we had a room with like people coming to watch us to support and voc like set up the live cam and we had a big screen to watch the competition and we were ready like we had written work we was on right mm. and that girl that was competing with me scored like high nines like she killed it but her only disadvantage was like she wasn't a slammer so she went way overtime and lost points oh, right. she actually would have probably won that year if right. it wasn't for the overtime in her poems okay but um yeah like we was ready like we was a gaming like pre-talk before the event and then we got on there and that was the year i lost by 0.3 0.3 was the margin that i lost by and i was devastated right in the sense of like damn it bro like come on every time i'm ready for this i don't win <laughs> like what's going on so I'm like forget it and right. i told victoria actually at the time who was like um, working with VOC, i was like i give up that's it i'm done i'm wrapping it up I, I went to nationals, I repped, I won the state championship, I came runner-up. This is it. I don't really need to do this again because I don't think I will win it. So I actually had a conversation with the, the girl who won. She sent me a message right after the competition. She goes, man, I think you were incredible. Please do this again. Like, you are meant to make, like, to win this. And I was like, I appreciate the love and all of that stuff. But I really don't think I can go through this vigorous process of, like, trying to prep and not knowing whether I'm going to win and it being crowd votes and blah, blah, blah. I was like, forget it. And then um, I did it again. <laughs> I went to state again just to take up a body. And this time I definitely, I took my sister with me. Yeah. Actually, it was my first time my sister went and saw me slam. Right. That was the year I like introduced my family to my, my world of poetry. And I was like, hey man, I've got my Queensland championship. Um, do you want to come? She's like, yeah, my friend really likes poetry. We'll come with you. Right. So they were like, oh, lit. This is awesome. They were in the front row. And my sister had never seen me compete poetry ever. It's been like eight years in the game. So she's sitting in the front row. She's like, and they're like super excited. It's very cute. Um, and I'm backstage and I'm like, I really don't care about winning this, but I do want to share a poem that's important to me, which is talking about my mom. And I've never really spoken about her on stage, but I really do just want to do that. I was actually pep talking somebody else backstage, this really nervous poet. So I sat with her on this seat and I was like, yo, you got it. And I was like chatting with her. Then we went and got burgers and sat back. We were not paying attention at all to what was going on. So she performed and then I performed after I was the last person to perform actually. Right. And I was in the middle of like biting a burger when they announced me winning state again. I don't I don't know about the history of like winning state slams, but I I've never heard of somebody winning twice. So winning state twice, two years in a row was already a big deal because mm. I'd never seen it before. Right. So I was like, oh, this is like lit. My sister's like, this is amazing. I didn't know poetry could be this serious. And the room serious. was- Yeah, she was like, this is, this is, this is whoa. I'm like, Like hey. legit serious? Yeah, she felt yeah. like it was like a whole nother level. Because yeah. to her, all she's ever heard me talk about is like going to an event and, you know, people singing. And it's a very like, to her, it's almost like a, a celebration rather than a competition. So she didn't see that there was a competitive side to it. Okay, where right. there was judges and yeah. something up for grabs. Right, to bring all this excitement to the art form. Exactly. Right. And you know what's funny? Like, we were walking to my car that day and my sister was like, yeah, you're going to win nationals. Like, you're going to win. And I'm like, girl, do you know how hard it is to win that thing? It don't matter. How, it's 
sometimes it's not even about skill. There's like nerves, um, performance, the room that you're in. There's so many variables to determine who's going to win, yeah. right? It's not just about skill. Yeah. And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're, you're going to win nationals. My sister was positive that I was going to win nationals. Everyone I had told was like, yeah, this is your year to take it home. And I have, I give zero, zero interest in winning nationals. I had zero plan or you know, like when people are like, oh yeah, when I win nationals, this is what it's going to look like. I had yeah. no possibility of even imagining it. Right. I didn't put it in my mind. Like I was going to go to Sydney, then I got my vac shot one and I couldn't get the second one because I had to wait a certain period of time. Uh-huh. So I ended up having to do it all like online and I didn't even prep for it. Oh, because of your vac status? Yes, because I couldn't Not travel. Not because of other restrictions? Nah, right. my vac status. I had to be vaccinated with two doses to be able to make it even in the venue. Right. In the Sydney venue. So, oh, okay. Because so, it was after COVID. Everything right. was just getting back to normal. Right, right. Whereas the previous two state were, were what year? Like This was like 2020. Yeah. We were like in the heart of it, but it was yeah. local. So mm. we were starting to have a little bit more access to venues. Right. And, and people, Qu- Queensland was still relatively normal yeah we were okay like we were adjusting a lot better than sydney Mm. so going to that venue you had to like there was a form we had to fill out i was like guys i'm not vaccinated yeah so i'm just gonna like do it online yeah so yeah i i did it online and i my best friend was coming on was game night on sunday yeah i think it was i don't don't remember what day the week it was but we had game night yeah i didn't tell my best friend or his brother that i was my it was my night to compete i just said hey yo it's game night i'm actually making shrimp come through early and then i set up the camera and then my sister was like what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just going to put it on this table right here. And she goes, no, no. So she bought like her ring lights for her makeup and like clipped it on the screen and then set up a, a part of the room in the corner for me. Right. And then like was like, okay, we're going to do it right here. And she put the whole prep together and then invited her best friend, the other one that wanted to see me do poetry. Right. So she had put the stage yeah. and my best friend walked in and goes, oh, what's, what's up with the setup? I was like, oh, it's my national like comp night. And he was like, that's kind of something you tell people, you know? And I was like, nah, not really. It's, it's, it's whatever. Like, I've done it before. I didn't win. So yeah. this, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's so. going to happen. I'm just going to perform. We're going to turn the screen off right. and have shrimp and play mafia. It's right, fine. Right, like, it's, right. it's not going to disturb our night. Right. And um, was it, were you at home at Forest Lake at that time? No, I was in Inala. Inala. This is before we moved. Okay. Um, which is any funny because like a few months later, my whole life took a complete change and even like where I lived. I'd been in that house for like 11 to 13 years okay and then suddenly we just moved in like two weeks time to a right. whole new home right yeah so it was a but yeah i was like okay cool i'm gonna do this and we were watching because you know like names get picked out in order like in, so you don't know when you're up so yeah. you essentially have to watch the whole thing i'm literally cooking in the background and my friends are watching this live right. <clears throat> while my mics and my thing cameras off right and, and this is a few months <clears throat> after your family even learning about what you do exactly this is my this is my sister's like I could count how many times she's seen me on stage do right, poetry. Right. It was her first time like being really exposed. And I always doubted because she's very quiet. I always asked, I'm like, I didn't ever think you would like my poetry. And she goes, well, you didn't give me a chance to see it for me to like it or not like it type thing. Right. So when I started inviting her, she's actually one of the people that's always like, oh, when are you performing next? Oh, we want to come. I want to go. Like my friends want to see you do your work. Yeah. Like she posted in her group chat when I won, like took a photo and like sent it to everybody. And I was getting calls from my students, parents like, oh, could rats be heard you want? Because of my sister. She like sent out the news to everybody she knew. My sister's the national champ and she's going to go on tour. And it was a big deal to her. And right. I didn't see that coming. Right. But she like set up the spot and like we were, they were all watching. And in my, in the eight years of doing poetry, I treated it like no one would like it. So it was kind of my own thing. So I kept everyone out of it. Partners. It was kind of like I would have a show and not tell anybody it's about like it. It's a dirty secret. Yeah. I don't know why. Don't <laughs> ask. 
I would like get in my car and get dressed up and go to this awesome event and then tell people about it afterwards. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Like, why didn't you tell us who would come watch you? Right. I still do it now where I just go to events solo where people will see the post and be like, hey, like, hello? <laughs> like, right. I want to come. Yeah. So I treated it like this hidden vault of my life that it was like just for me, by me. And I didn't want to invite people in to that space. And I, I, I'm still unpacking why that is, mm. especially as I venture and having my own events. It's like a whole different ball game. And that was my best friend had only seen me perform poetry for the first time live when I won the heat at VOC for the, that first time that I went to state. And he was like, yo, you're so good. Like, I know you're good, but whoa. Because he'd seen me like in my pocket, like mm. performing on like live. And mm. he'd never seen that before. Right. Right? Like I might his exposure to poetry was like me in a circle, like dropping bars, right. like for fun. Right. So I was there and they were watching, like, this is amazing. Like people are from Australia competing and they're really, really good. And like my sister, the whole night, she's like, Yeah, who's gonna win this, bro? She's gonna win this. And I get up and I do my first poem and I'm like, I explained to them that there's two heats, like two parts of the competition, first one and then the second one. And then I'm like, I only have one poem. That's it. So I don't expect to make it to the top five anyways. Because mm. um, I'm watching the poets and they're phenomenal. And my vote was actually this young indigenous fella who was like 16, 17, I think. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him to win. Yeah. So we were watching, I was watching him like, yo, he's, yo, like this the one. And then I didn't like the votes he got because like his intricacy of language might have been lost in translation. But I thought he was one of the best writers at that at that event. Um, so like after I performed, I was like, yeah, cool. Like we can turn it off or you guys can keep watching if you want while I cook. My sister's like, no, we're going to see who makes top five. Like you can't just turn the screen off. I'm like, all right, whatever. If y'all want to watch it. And I'm in the background just chilling. And I'm like, I don't have a poem. My sister's like, you better come up with something because if they call your name, you better be ready. And I'm like... I don't think they'll call my name, so I'll be fine. Yeah. Right? So, like, they turn the camera off and we're chilling, and then he calls my name, and I'm like, oh, my God. He did not just say my name. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I'm freaking out. And then this is the, I call my mom. I'm like, mom, I just... And she's like, yeah, duh. And I'm like, she's like, where's the poem? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm so scared. Too much. And my mom is like out. So she watched me perform the first poem and she's like fascinated because there's a language barrier. But she mm. can tell by the way that I'm speaking that I'm really into it. Right. Like she's catching like little glimpses of the story. So I explained it to her afterwards. Right. So when I make it to the second part, she comes out and like wraps her scarf on and she's sitting down on the side. And you can see them in the video. There's like everyone sitting behind me. My mom's to my left and like my brother and my my best friend and her, my sister and her best friend. Right. And there's a bunch of people just sitting around watching me and you, through the screen. And your mother hasn't even seen you practice, let alone... No, this is her first time ever even understanding what that world looked like. So she's confused as to, okay, you're on screen for what? Who's watching? Who else is involved? Yeah. And what does this even mean? Mm. She's not... like Because I haven't explained it to her. Right. All I've said to her is I'm competing with poetry... And I'm on screen. That's all she knows. So she's sitting there confused as to what's going on. But she's she's there. She's physically like watching and engaged and stuff. And my sister's like, yeah, you're going to win this. And I'm like, I spit my poem and I'm like super in it. And then I turn it off and like we're waiting for the for like the points to come out. Right. Because we I was like the third or fourth person. So we already knew what the number, the score to beat was. Right. And so the, your poem. Yeah. That you just made up on the spot. Yep. So I just freestyled the poem about why I love poetry, essentially, and what connects me to it. Right. Can you remember a couple lines? Um, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> 
see, that's the crazy thing about it. I have no idea what it was. <laughs> but it was it was there. Apparently it was the good. Moment. Yeah. Apparently it was good. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is the scoring portion. There's only one person after me. It's either I score high enough that I win or like, you know, I'm completely knocked off. Mm. And I know like I need nines across the board to beat the three people that have just come before me. Mm. Nines at least. Right. So it's like... that's where they're ranking and you, oh, you've seen the numbers. Yeah, so through. I have to... That's where I need to be at because mm. I've seen everybody. So my yeah. sister's keeping score. Yeah. So she's like, okay, cool. You need like nines. So I'm... First mark is like 9.7. She's not... She's like, like your manager, hype yo, person. She's, she's ready. She's like the stats on the, on the sideline. ready. <laughs> she's like the home, the team, managerial team in one person, yeah, right? Yeah. So she's like, okay, we need nines. <laughs> We need nines. They got to give you nines. I'm like, I don't care. Right. I really don't care. Right. And there's a point where you can see where I think I want to get up, but my sister's like, no, nah, sit down. I'm like, okay, cool. I got to right. really take my marks. And your mother's with you at this my, point. My mother's on this side. She's watching. Just They're just out of, out of I think we can my see a few legs in the shot. So they're the, just out of. Yeah, my mom's just out of camera because she didn't want to be on in the shot. Okay. So she's just on my left and everybody else is on my right. Right. So the, I think it was like, I don't know. It's like a 9.3 or 9.7 comes first. And then it was like stacks on nines. Your like scores. high nines. Yeah, like 9.3, 9.7, 9.6, 9.5 through the board. She goes, yeah. And everyone's like, and then there's me like cheering and then they're going off. Yeah. And then we have to wait for the next person because whatever they get, they have to beat me. Essentially, I'm now winning. Right. Okay. You I'm, become the front runner right there. There's one person after me, whatever they get, um, it's a deciding factor. So top top five, you're the fourth performer. Yep. And there's one, one person after okay. me. I believe so. One or two. But we were like, they were sitting on the edge of their seat like, oh, this is, this could be it. Everyone else is in person. You're through. You're the only one performing through a screen. No, there's a few other people. Top five? Oh, the top, I think there was only two on camera and then the, the rest were in the actual event. Okay. Um, so we're just chilling and then they're like after my like there's a video of me screaming like just up at like, somewhere around my sister recorded it like we're all yelling I'm in this black dress and my braids have come off and everyone's like ah <laughs> in the background like near my kitchen it's, as you're hearing the results of yes yep yeah but I'm like oh shit and I'm like did I just win my sister's like you just won I'm like no no I didn't win <laughs> and I'm just we're just chilling like oh my god this could be this could be nuts this could be crazy Right? Like, and I'm, I am I have to sit in front of my camera because they're about to announce the winner. Huh. Right? And I'm sitting and this is the tell sign. So there's a feeling, but it's not official. It hasn't, yeah. Like, like you, you've sort of done some stats. You've got your we've, sister we've team done, stats over here. We She's think we know what's going on. Yeah. Like, we think even if I didn't want, I'm a runner up again. Okay. But my sister's the one that's like, no, my bro- my sister and my best friend are like, yeah, you've won. Right. So they're already starting to celebrate. I'm like, no, we got to wait for this to be called. Right? Right, right. And I'm sitting. Because the 0.3 runner up, that was state or that was. Nationals. That was nationals. The margin okay. I lost by 0.3 to the title that year before. Right. So at this moment, you're sitting with two state titles and one national runner up. That's and it. And you're just on the edge. And I'm on that cusp. Like, this is, this is the moment I could take this home, but I'm not ready for it. Did not want to, did not expect it. So I'm sitting there in my you room. did not come there to win. I did not come ready to win. <laughs> I came, my first line of my first poem that I'd written yeah. that same day about yeah. the revolution of home is like still on my notes. And the first line is, I don't expect to win tonight, but for the next two minutes while I have this mic, I have some things I would like to say. That's literally the first two lines of the poem is I came there letting people know I don't care about winning. But while I'm here, there is some truth that needs to be told. Right. 
So I'm going to spit it out. So I talked about, you know, what's happening for people back home yeah. for Sudan because it doesn't get center stage. Right. And I left content. Yeah. And that's what I was there to do. Right. And I was cool. It's like a happy with the seat at the table type attitude. Boom. I'm, I'm, I'm Gucci, right? Yeah. So me sitting on this floor on this like little cat, like cushion my sister put under me because I'm short, right? Because she put <laughs> on this table for some reason, right? And like they announce like the runner up. And then right after it, my mic gets like turned on by them. To, so oh, I can talk oh, straight away. Yeah. So when they announce you, they oh, they like unmute your mic because they've got control. Yeah. So they unmute my mic and then they say my name and we go ballistic. <laughs> there is no sense of self-control whatsoever <laughs> at this point. Everyone is screaming and hollering and it's just like a mess. <laughs> but it was the most, ge- like that could have been, that. that is the most genuine, authentic expression because I did not see this coming. And even though my, the people around me, there was like this support, there was still a sense of, oh my God, you just won. Like this is, this is it. Yeah. At the time I had a partner who I didn't even tell about my national day. So I called him and he was just like, oh, like what's going on? I was like, I just won nationals. And he's like, wait, <laughs> hold on. Let's zoom out a second. Huh? <laughs> and I'm like, I just won nationals. And he's like, when was nationals? Can we backtrack a little bit? He's so confused as to what just happened. Then I call Anissa. And yeah. I'm, and Anissa, like, again, like, shout out to Anissa Nandala for everything she's doing and mm. for the, the, the person she's been in my life. Mm. Since meeting me, there is no surprise about my accomplishments in her mind. So when I called and I was like, I just won national, she was like, of course you did. <laughs> there was no like, oh shit. It was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Duh. She's like, if anyone's going to win nationals, it's right. going to be you. Right. And she was a former state champ. Yes. And she went and became runner up. Runner up as well. Exactly. So she's been in my shoes. Right. Right. You're so standing on her shoulders. Exactly. She's the person who opened the door for me to come in. Mm. Right. So it was like, oh, I had to tell her like, you know, and then I called Victoria, like viewers. I called the people that I knew from the beginning were vouching for me to win. Yeah. Who knew I needed the win. Because you didn't tell anyone. So they're not there like watching the stream. No one knew what <laughs> was going on. I had to tell people like, hey, just wanted to let you know. <laughs> just a courtesy call. <laughs> I just want nationals, you know, and I got to hang up because I got to take this like interview with the newspaper like in a few minutes. Like it was that type of night. Um, and I, I went to my mom. I was like, mom, I just want nationals. And she's like laying on the bed. And I'm like, this is, cr- you don't know how crazy this is. She goes, well, it seems like you are, you earned it. From what I just saw, it seems like that is what was supposed to happen. And I'm like crying. Like, I'm like, man, I just won nationals. Like this is, this was not, there's no vision board like in my room that says national champ with like glitter on it. Yeah. Arrows pointing. That was nowhere near what I wanted to do. It, right. I didn't see it as possible. Mm. So for it to happen when I'm the most unprepared is insane. It was absolutely just, yeah, that Mm. will be like a moment that I will carry with me every single day. And then things just started to unpack because in my mind, winning nationals is already a big deal. Mm. Then having a conversation with Miles afterwards, like, yeah, we got a tour of you going to Asia and Europe and touring Australia. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we relax <laughs> i'm still digesting the fact that i'm the national champ and i can say that you yeah, know what i mean yeah and you're talking about like the next step um and he was like oh yeah i remember you from last year and people were rooting for you to win and it was a disappointment like people were disappointed when you didn't win hmm. so he was like yeah like we all people were glad that you came back and did it again yeah so it was like it's almost like everybody has been anticipating my win but me <laughs> And I was just like, what's going on? Like, 
Y'all knew this was gonna happen? Who told y'all? No, no one told me. Nobody told me. I didn't get the memo. Nobody put me on. I could have been cuter for that video. I could have been more prepared. The lighting could have been better. Like what? This is nuts. At least your sister had your back. Oh, she the ring light. Yo, she knew Wagwan. She knew what she needed to do. And that was the day she showed up. Like it was, yeah, it was a very um, yeah, it was a hilarious day for right, me because right. like mind you i had to go from like shutting my screen to continuing to cook because i had game night so the day had to continue like we just had a okay cool sweet yeah, great i'm the champ All right. All right, <laughs> so this it? food in the background who's the master of mafia today like who's <laughs> so yeah on on one hand you're unprepared perhaps mentally or emotionally but on the other side you're eight to ten years into your poetry career mm. of performance and writing and development, but your family have just found out. So it's this this double-sided thing. It's like on one hand, whoa, I'm not ready. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, let's go. This is what I've been working towards. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. At some point, it got like super real, like super quick. I think my first trip was to Adelaide Writers Festival. Right. And that was the first time it got real. Yeah. I was like, oh, damn. Okay. I've been doing this thing. Like, this is funny. Like, I'm only realizing now that it's been like a hidden part of my life mm. for a really long time until the world was like, nope, you don't have that choice anymore. <laughs> you don't get to hide it. Like, we're going to out you as the champ. We're snitching. <laughs> Everybody going to know that you're good, that you do this regularly. And I'm like, damn it. Oh, I'm not ready for that. Um, so it went from this like hidden thing to like, this is what I does. Like I walk in a room and people know who I am mm. because my my photos all over the room mm. or people have watched my video before I get there. Yeah. And I started doing this thing on stage where I'm just like, okay, so who's seen a video of me before you've come here? And they're like, I'm like, damn it. Right. I was at a point in my career where people didn't know who I was until I got there. And that was the impression like, where have you been? I've never heard of you. Right. And then I was getting into rooms where people knew who I was already. Yeah. And it was a real, like a really weird thing of like, I had to then decide, now that I've gotten this thing that I did not think was possible, what am I going to do with it? Right? And this is, the de- this is the deciding moment of, if every moment I've doubted how good I am and just told myself that I did it for leisure, I did it because it felt good, I did it because I was connected to it, but it wasn't about skill. This was the moment to really figure it out. Because you can't fluke tours. You can try, mm. but it will be very clear that you are not meant to be there. It will be clear. Once you've done, I've done 28 shows in 20 days. Mm. Okay. There was no way you could fluke that. Right. Like, yeah. At some point, people are going to be like, mm, you know what I mean? Like as yeah. many panels as you sit on and interviews and posts you make, mm. people are going to figure out like you just accidentally won this. This mm. ain't really like what you do right. or who you are. So I had to decide quickly. This was my moment to show Kiss not just like connection but skill right and how do i show that and i had a conversation with miles and he asked like how did i grow up what's my connection to the art and why i have been doing it like i gave him a brief background on like community my love for community started with my mother and like you know we grew up in a like a two-bedroom house that didn't have a fridge or a stove and my mom would still house people in like she got some shit like you know what i mean she'd give should half nothing with somebody else so they only got half of nothing not the full nothing like, I, don't, I don't understand it but mm. she did it so well that the nothingness became something in a crowd full of people and I was always inspired by her willingness to give herself yeah. even despite of the limitation it possessed for her 
you know, pros and cons, by the way. Mm. <laughs> but I had to decide at that moment. And I told him, I was like, I feel like I got lucky. And for the first few weeks of winning and the first few events, I felt lucky to win. And I didn't know what that meant. And I was like, and then I, I, I said that to somebody and they're like, this is not about luck. You don't have that much luck for eight years. Yeah. That's yeah. not a thing. Mm. So you have to stop saying that you got lucky. Yeah. You were meant to be where you were. And this was a d- skill. Yeah. And it, w- it took a long time to get rid of that. Oh, I just got lucky, man. And that's how I would describe it. I just got lucky. Yeah. That was just my day. And it happened to be the people that were judging really like what I had to say. It was luck. Mm. Mm. But And if you look into it sometimes, you can reframe luck as consistent, consistent hard work plus timing. And that's exactly what it was, yeah. you know, but it was, it was a really hard thing having imposter syndrome and also being the black body on stage. Mm. I was the first black woman. No, uh, we've had another black woman one, but I think like looking at the people who won, I was like, damn, I'm nothing like these people. Mm. Like the person who won the year I lost by 0.3 was an English teacher. I'm illiterate. Like I, I don't, I don't have a knowledge of like, you know, post like historical poetry and i'm not like people expect me to be like oh my god i've been reading my whole life and i have a library at home and like I, you know i used to look at the dictionary and learn a few words i did not have any of that mm. i couldn't read properly until i was like 11 right so that's not my narrative with this so it felt like luck yeah because yeah. it wasn't like years of preparation of skill but it was at the same time it's eight years of preparation on stage and in community spaces and loving art and getting to know artists but changing that was really it was a lot of work self-work and then i told miles i was like miles i'm going to be a person who does this tour like no one else will ever do it no one will ever do this tour how i'm going to do it and that's going to be my legacy is i'm going to be memorable on every single stage that i've i will ever touch down on while i hold this title and i i'm there is going to be I'm not going to show up late I'm not going to show up emotionally unprepared I'm not going to show up half myself because I will I don't think I'll ever be able to do this shit again Mm. so this is my moment for people to know that this is not a drill this is not a joke this is not a trial this is real this is where I'm supposed to be so I'm going to make sure that while I'm here that I am the bar forever that this is the bar and this is how you show up to stay it's not about luck no more. This is about skill, sheer skill. And anyone who gets up the stage after me should be going, damn, I got to be as prepped as she is, you know? And that's not even a competition thing. It was like, it was my O2. Like, I'm going to do this bigger than anyone has. And I told him, I was like, I'm going to get a standing ovation at Sydney Opera House. And he goes, well, you know, we normally get the standing ovation for the event anyways. I'm like, mm-mm-mm, you didn't hear what I said. I said, I am going to get us. I didn't say the event. I didn't say the slam. I didn't say everybody. I said me, my set, my performance. At the start of the year of being, oh, yeah, having we, the crown. I, I, I said, I'm going to do this mm. big. Yeah. I'm going to do this like no one else has ever done it. And we toured together and we were on the road. I am not late to a show. Like he got to a point where we were in Belgium and like, I was not around. People couldn't see me because I, I always tap out of the show for a few minutes and hide away. Yeah. And people were like, oh my God, is she here? And Miles was like, she's here. She's always here. She's always here when she needs to be on here. And like after our Australian tour, he was like, I've never had a tour with somebody like you before. 
he's like, what we've been able to do, he's like, you've been the easiest person to tour with because I don't have to coach you or teach you or mentor you or tell you or fix anything. He started taking my classes while we were touring. Mm. There was no like, what do you need to teach? It was like, oh, cool. She's got it. I'm going to go do work or I'm going to... And it's fine. And I aimed to do that, to not feel like baggage on that tour where he needed to take care of me or teach me anything because I had eight years of learning already done under my belt. If there was anything else I needed to learn, I was willing to. But yeah, I was like, we're going to go out with a bang. Mm. I will be felt in every room that I walk into that is not an, that's just is what, if I'm good at anything, it is that. Like, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm short. I'm, I cannot ride a bike. And I've got a lot of deficits in my life. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a fatherless daughter with a lot of trauma and a lot of counseling to do. Okay. But one thing I am good at is being felt. Because I've never faked that. I've never had to pretend to be anybody else because I don't know how to be anybody else. So the only thing I can guarantee in any room is you might outwork. You could try to outwork me. It's going to be hard. You know, you might be smarter than me. You might have more money than me. You might be prettier than me. You are not going to be out authentic than me. You're not going to be felt more than I am. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. Because I come as myself completely... And imperfect and incomplete and fragile and also the strongest I could be in that room. And that is my weight. That is my superpower in any given place. It's never been just skill for me. It's been the power to be felt. Mm. And I learned that on stage. You know, I learned that in Byron. People ask me what the highlights of my tour was. Like every single place I've been at, I connected with a soul that felt me so profoundly that it changed how I relate to my poetry even more. Right. When you go to like Aubrey and I'm like on stage, our final show before we head back and then we're back going to Europe. Yeah. And I'm, I do this set. And you know what's funny? I'm not as connected to that set because I'm tired. Like I'm, uh, I'm going to be honest. I got uh-huh. to a point where like my, I was experiencing poetry fatigue. Mm. Where I was like, oh my God, it's another show, another crowd of people. Yeah. And I was emceeing this event, right? Mm. So I was hosting the slam. And I only four people signed up and I was able to double that by just being on stage. People were like, yeah, I'll do it. And I put it out to the stage. I was like, come on, man. Like, this is your opportunity to speak your truth and be be who you are. If you don't start today, then when are you going to do it? Convincing them in the moment to join the to event join, that was already running. To join the competition, the right. slam, okay. to win the title. Right. So we had gone from like maybe four to like 10 people or something like that. Right. We had, yeah. And I was like, Miles, I'm going to double it. Don't worry about that. We will have a whole set by the end of this. Because mm. four people is a very quick slam. Right. And we're in a small town that seemed a little bit more conservative. So it was a bit like, this is going to be a hard ask. Yeah. Because everybody wanted to watch and nobody wanted to participate. Right. But we, I had managed to double that number. And get a whole show happening. And then after my set, I had this beautiful woman. I cannot remember for the life of me. And she started crying. And she goes, you know, when you said you were here for somebody's soul, I felt like you were here for mine. And I appreciate everything that you said today. And me and her are standing there having this moment where she's crying. And I'm talking to her. And I'm not noticing there are cameras behind me recording our interaction. She's the director of the festival. I don't know that. I'm just connecting with a human being. This woman came up to me and said, I just changed like I really just was the light she needed. And I gave her a message from wherever the hell it came from that really resonated with her. I didn't know who she was until like the next tour. I was like, oh man, I remember that beautiful lady. I was like, you know who that is? That's the director of the festival. I'm like, I didn't know that. She was a random lady I gave a hug to and gave her some words of affirmation as I would do anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the moments in my tour that fundamentally changed the game. 
that make me have to show up at a hundred percent of myself. It isn't just the, the opportunity to do this, but it's who I get to do it for without even knowing them. Like the biggest rewards I've had on this tour have not just been being felt in these spaces, but changing somebody's life because of Byron Festival and because of me being on stage talking about my grandmother, a 14-year-old biracial black girl was able to compete and win her first slam because of a three-minute conversation we had afterwards. And she came to me with her mom and said, I won this because of you. That was because of me being authentic. She didn't resonate with me because I was so skilled. Her words to me is, I've never seen a black woman as vulnerable as you on stage. She felt me. She didn't just hear me. She didn't just like the bars that was sophisticated. That wasn't what connected us. It was the authenticity and the willingness for me to be human. Mm. I never promised my audience that I'm perfect. And I never want to sell that illusion. I am, compl- I am the most messed up, well put together person you will ever meet. And I pride myself on being that because that's what makes me human. So this tour was like legacy building for me. Is that like, this is it. This is the moment. Like when, when the Byron writer director came to me and said, people were sending me videos of your performances during your time in Byron. People were, like, I was getting videos of you performing in places. And that is, you know, that's a gem. Like, she couldn't even make it to some of these things and was trying to come to them because people were like, yo, look at her. Like, this was, I had met a lady who come to my show because someone saw me in, like, I don't know, Alice Springs and sent her a video of me. So she heard I was coming to her city and came to watch me. Then showed me the video that somebody sent her. Like, that's, to me, What? Like, I was in my room making shrimp. Like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is not real. Like, people, like, I, I can't, deco- like, I can't pull this apart because to me, it's wild. People think I planned this. I thought this was going to be my reality. What? Mm. You mm. really thought, I thought I was going to be on that level? I was cool doing shows for, like, 150 at a, around the block for a couple people that gave me hugs afterwards and sent me nice messages. That was it. Let's go with that. But that's not where I am now, so. <laughs> right. And so you were in Albury. Yeah. So touring, a lot of regional Australia tour, touring mm. before you were on the, and uh, before you were on the road towards the Opera House, there was a lot of regional Australia touring mm. and also some international touring. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the contrast of, of that. Oh, oh, there are some major differences. Mm. Um, so I did like... Uh, I did Adelaide, then I did Northern Territory. So I went to Tennant Creek, Alice Springs. Yeah. And I was there for Red Dirt Festival, which is an incredible festival mm. um, run, run by Laurie May. And yes. um, it was my first time on that side. Mind you, preface, I had never, le- while living in Brisbane in Australia for 17, 18 years, I've only ever been to Sydney for work. This was my first time seeing Australia fully. Like I've only been to like Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Sydney for work, for right. training. Right. So my first... No leisure trips nah. anywhere else in the I had gone around, like, back home for my family and we prioritized that. So yeah. we never did Australia. Yes. Um, I relate to that as a classic migrant thing. Like, holidays, uh, going back to place of origin. Yeah, absolutely. Reconnecting family. with roots. Yeah, you might maybe stop by Singapore or Malaysia, something like that. That's your only taste. Uh, getting on a plane is big whole deal. Everyone comes out. Yep. To, to everyone's deal. out at the airport. Yeah. You, you got like 15, 20 people welcoming yeah. you back home. Yeah. Holidays yeah. are not for 
the leisure people think it is. Our leisure is yes. family connection. Yes. You got a wedding that everyone's been waiting for you to come yes. home to go to. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to meet the baby who was born and you like missed yeah. a year of their life. That's yeah. what holidays were. Right. So and I never got to Australia. Right, right. And in my experience, like that's saving up the pennies for every three or four years. And then, then it's like, oh. It's a treat. We get to go to Sri Lanka for this Christmas. Because it costs a lot. Yes. You, you're buying gifts. So there are people who need something from you that they can't get access to. Right, so right. even the way you pack is for them. Yeah. You're not yeah. taking a bunch of clothes so you look nice. You're right. packing like, oh, somebody, there's like a brand of like powdered milk people want. So you, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. it's yeah. Diff- It's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. And people are like, how could you, have you been in Australia for so long and never been to like even Melbourne? I'm like, dude, I went back home mm. for like two months. Like when I was in high school, now that I'm working, it's much harder to get that much time off. Yeah. But yeah. like that was holidays. So when I was like, oh, they're like going to, I'm like Adelaide. I was like, oh, cool. Never been to Adelaide. Everyone's like, oh, it's just Adelaide. I'm like, I haven't been to Adelaide. <laughs> Let me be excited about it. Damn it. It is definitely a small town pretending to be a city, but I, I fucked with it. I yeah. thought Adelaide was awesome. Yeah. Um, I had a really good time and I met someone who's become a very good friend of mine because of Adelaide. Right. We had, we had touched down. And got to like got there together. And he's a dancer um, named Daniel. And like we just, we had like a so tie moment. Like he was, he's the most beautiful. He's a dancer slash poet from Sydney. Yeah. And he's just incredible. And like we did this whole like try to be tourist in Adelaide. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. And it was super cute because Adelaide. And what time of year? Because that's very important in Adelaide. Is it Mad March or is it rest of the year? N- no, it was where, where there was like Fringe Festival was there. So it was a very busy time. February, March kind of time. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so that's like the explosion it, of events. It was busy. The whole parklands that surround the city yes. expand. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. Great. So we did the whole like going to the writers' festival, and it was our first was my first time in a writers' festival. Yeah. At all. Mm. So I was like, oh, oh, this is yeah. I had I don't think I had ever no. I have gone to a Queensland writers' festival. Yeah. But because poets are kind of like we have our own space, yeah. so we I don't when you perform, you kind of don't tend to see everything else. Especially when it's in your own city, you kind of go for the performance, meet people afterwards, and you go home. Yeah. I've never been the type that's like, I'm going to go check out the whole festival, which is now, I'm, it's very different mentality now. Now you kind of have to because it's where you meet the authors and everybody else and you connect. Yeah. Um, so Sometimes I, I feel like writers' festivals and literary events treat spoken word poetry like the kind of juvenile, juvenile delinquents of the literary world. It's like you, you, uh, you, you have the stage at the back of do, the do, festival. Do that thing over there. It's like, yes, you're bringing in all these young people and doing things that we're trying to do anyway. But uh, just, you know, just, just can you stay within this little? <laughs> we're the entertainment factor. Right. Yeah. We're the entertainment portion of the festivals. Okay. We're not the literary part of the festival. Right, right. Which is an interesting thing considering what poetry, how how significant poetry t- is to literature. Mm. And this is where we talk about that contrast between like Europe, Asia yeah. to Australia with poetry. Right. right. So Adelaide Festival was amazing. I got to meet some really, really cool people. Um, but yeah, again, we were a small pocket where they're, everybody kind of knew each other because you're an author. So everybody knew the big names. Mm. People wouldn't know who we are because we're poets. So we kind of okay. have to introduce ourselves. Right. Which is fine. I'm not like... There's a lot of work to be done in writers' festivals sections in terms of like where we put poetry and where we prioritize it, but also who wins poetry can determine the placement of them within the festival, right? Because I'm an academic, yeah. So there's I can sit on a different a bunch of different panels compared to somebody who's just does poetry, right? Who might not have any other expertise b- besides poetry, yeah. And even within that poetry, there's a limitation on what they know and what they do, right? Because mm. usually winning nationals, you never knew who's going to win nationals. Somebody who could have just started doing poetry might have wrote two really good poems and then won. And then somebody who's been writing for 10 years might not win. It really varies. But like, 
Alice Springs had a really beautiful culture to it where there was a bunch of range of people. And I think because it was a smaller place, there was a lot of value for the festival. People were excited about it because it's not much that goes on. Mm. So when it happens, right. it was like people cherished it. People came out and people did their thing and really showed up for it. Where And even I saw like Byron, big event, yeah. huge, yeah. massive turnout, extending events, really distinguished. That was for me like one of the very like, it felt very classy. Right. Like even where we stayed, yeah. it was a beautiful, well-organized, well-structured event. Right. Um, the biggest contra, like biggest difference for me is where I was, how I was, how I felt like I was looked at as a poet in Australia versus like London. Right. So for example, one of my biggest events, I think one of the, the one of my favorite events, and I have a lot, but uh, was a Poets Out Loud event during, as a part of Byron. And like whenever there was like just kids in the audience and their parents and there were like a bunch of kids competing for the title. And it was so cute because like I had come in and kids were whispering like, oh my God, is that one of the goddess? Oh my God, is that? And I was like, these kids know who I am. And they're like, get it, they know who you are. I'm like, right. whoa. <laughs> and like they were all shy and I give them like this little pep talk. And then I got on stage and I, for the first time I talked about my totem back home and I did a freestyle. And like, it's always the most impressive part of this. Like I can write a really great poem, but the moment people throw words at me and I make a whole story out of it, I was like, whoa, she's incredible. Right. And I'm like, I wrote a really great poem before this. So we're just going <laughs> to ignore that well put together poem. Whatever. I'm kind of this art. Whatever. Um, and I did this freestyle that I, I was like, and I don't praise my work a lot. That was the shit. I was like, okay, I'm in my bag today. Yeah. And it was a really wholesome event. And it was also because kids, almost cheated me like whoa you're the wordsmith like you're the writer like this is really dope we want to be like you right so i felt really acknowledged as a poet in that space where kids kind of given me that stature of like yeah you're the bar right yeah right yeah and, and other is that also to do with okay so the festival takes you seriously as a performer and you're promoted as such like the other artists that are coming into the festival so that people coming to the festival have the same opportunity to go oh who's this hoda i'm gonna look Mm. Look them up and like, oh, cool. Here's a video. Whoa. Is it, was it that kind of? I think so. But yeah. it's, I, I'm not sure how we, I don't know if it was a variable of them being kids. And then like. Right. The it, youth engagement. Youth engagement is different. Yeah. When people think you're like, when, when you get the title of anything, kids have a lot more esteem and respect for that because it means to them, okay, you are the best. So we right. are going to treat you like you're the best. Yeah. yeah. With, I think with, po like with festivals, there's so many people there. And a lot of it is like, People have been going to festivals for years because they have like seven, eight books and have been around in the literary world where mm. poets who win, it's every year it's a new person. Yeah. So your point of getting that reaction is you got to be good on stage to be memorable for people to look you up afterwards. So it's you don't have the opportunity of being known before you get in the space. You got to earn the recognition in the spot. Right. And your title might be impressive, but not as impressive as if you kill the performance. It almost feels like that. Okay. The ticking of the box is like you got to give us a performance. You got to give us a really good one that makes you memorable. Both as a performer and as a speaker. Exactly. Mm. And that those are two hard pockets because a lot of writers aren't good on the mic. Yeah. Like it's, it's an introverted job, mm. really writing a book. Mm. It requires you to be like inside. That's, that's right. That's it right. is an introverted for the yes. most part. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, but it was really, really fascinating because I had done a regional tour with these writers who have like, you know, like um, written seven books. And I was like, whoa. And then well, they didn't know who I was. They knew I won and they like they were amazing people. But again, it was a thing of like, 
these are prospected authors of like 20 years or something, right? And I'm like, I'm now amongst them and I've just won my first national title. I don't have a book yet. So I am the amateur of this group. And but in it, there's two ways I can look at that. It's like, oh wow, like I'm amongst some really big people. Mm. When they're like, we're gonna sit on a panel, I'm like, who's gonna ask me anything? Yeah. These people have books. I don't. Right. What are the questions that are gonna be asked to a spoken word poet amongst four or three other authors? Yeah. So I was already like, mm, okay, cool, this will be interesting. And who's the is there a facilitator here? Yes, there what, is. What's their background? Are they literary authors? Yeah, she's as well? an author slash poet too. So okay. she, she dabbles in poetry. Okay. Yeah. So that made it different. Yeah. She was incredible right. also. Um so when we when we did the tour, she was like, "Yeah, we're going to sit on a panel, and then if you would like to, we'd always like the poet to kind of close the segment off because you know, like you guys the perf- the performance." Yeah, I yeah. was like, "Oh, like lit." Yeah. And it then became the joke is like you never follow her in anything. You don't follow her to answer a question. You don't follow her to perform. <laughs> She's the final and the full stop. And it became the joke of the fest, like the travel. <laughs> Which event is it? This is still, for Bi- this is for Byron. Byron. Okay. So like it was the funniest thing where like I was the bar. Like they, and they all would start like, "Hey, we're just letting you guys know if Huda answers the questions, we're not answering it." Like, <laughs> like Huda is the, the the full stop type thing. And it was it was the this, the the joke. And they really they made me feel like, "Yo, we really respect your art." Yeah. Um. Uh. One of the writers. Um. Nigel, I can't remember his last name. He's a well-known author. And he really like gave me so much praise. He's like, yo, we cannot do what you do. No one can do it how you do it. And that mm. became the intro. When I met them through the festival, they're like, Huda is one of the most incredible poets we have ever seen. And like, you don't ever want to follow her in anything after. Mm. And that was like the earning of it. When I went to Bali, again, the same thing. People don't know who you are, especially because I'm coming from Australia, yeah, right? Yeah. But there was already an established, ooh, when you're like, oh, I'm a spoken word poet. There was already, it comes with an already sense of like respect and like stature. It already lifts you before people even see you do anything. Where here it almost feels like you have to earn the ooh. It's like, oh, cool. Nice, you're a poet. But there it was kind of like, it already had a pre-established sense of respect and recognition in spaces. Without even the national title attached. No, I'm just a poet. Mm. At no point did I actually say I was the national champ until somebody put it in the bio. Right. That's, that's fun. I've never introduced myself that way until I had to, Miles had to train me. Like, <laughs> hello. Like, I'm like, yeah. okay, sorry. I'm Huda. I'm the Australian national poetry champ. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I felt that art had a bigger space. Like in London, when I went, so I went to this yeah. like Black Jam event in London mm. where it was like 150 people of just blackness, like I'm talking about like dashikis and like head wraps and like noises. Okay. It was incredible. And I had never experienced that in Australia ever. And all blacks, even within Peel, maybe Voice of Color is the closest we've ever gotten to a very black space. Yeah. Voice of Color. Yeah. So I was there and I was like, I was in awe. Me and Maz were in the back. Mind you, Maz is African-American. So we're sitting in the back like, whoa, this is dope. <laughs> we're like, this is amazing. <laughs> and he's like, Miles being Miles. He's like, you should perform. I'm like, Miles. <laughs> do that please I'm like no and he's like no this is an amazing opportunity for you to introduce yourself to this community and what's the safer place in this place for you to talk about your work I'm like I don't wanna I don't wanna ask <laughs> they look like they already have a roster this is and so Miles it, this is why he's good at what he does yeah he walked up to him introduced us and said hey I actually have the Australian National Poetry Champ here and we would love to be able to do something for you guys in the room even if yes. this is like two minutes on the mic yeah and she's skeptical we're going to be honest. She's skeptical. Who are y'all? Why y'all here? And what is she about to do? 
She's skeptical and rightfully so. Red, some random yeah, yeah. black people just walked in claiming to be the Australian champ. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm supposed to give her some mic like time on yeah. my stage. With like voices and accents that people might not associate with Australia. And people know each other in the space. So mm. we're the outsiders. Mm. Visibly, mm. you know, we're not from here. Yeah. So it was like, okay. And I'm like, okay, she's skeptical. So that means I if I get this mic, I really have to make sure that that skepticism turns into admiration. Or some type of praise, right? Oof, because yeah. that's the bar. Is when people are skeptical of you, that's where I itch. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> what? You don't even know what I'm about to do. You want to underestimate you me? You even, and everyone else. You don't even know what I got in my bag right now. Like, what? This is my moment. So I'm like, okay, this is exciting. I'm nervous though. Because I've never been in a room where my words have the ability to be critiqued. When you're talking about black topics in a white room, nobody has any choice but to eat it up. Mm. Because how dare you question it? You're not black. <laughs> so even if you got skepticism, shut up. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm in a black room talking about black shit to black people. Yeah. This shit got to be real. This is not a joke. This is, this is go time. This is the moment I've been practicing for for eight to nine years of my life to right. be in a black ass room. I'm excited, but I am nervous. And this is the thing, like, I'm surrounded by people who undoubtedly believe in my skill. The fucking audacity of y'all to just think I'm good all the time is irritating. Can you let me have this one moment of doubt? He's like, Miles, like, you're going to be fine. Like, no, no, <laughs> I'm freaking out right now and you're not taking my anxiety seriously, okay? And he's just like, Duda, you've done a tour. You've been on the road for like almost two months now. You've done more shows than you can count. You'll be fine. I'm like, oh, I, oh my God. This is, I don't have a bar in mind. I've lost all English in my mind. It's gone right now. So a lady, another lady who's an organizer calls me while the show's going. And she's like, oh, tell me about yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing is scarier than a random black auntie asking you to explain yourself. <laughs> okay? That shit is nerve-wracking. I can meet the prime minister of a country and be less fucking nervous, okay? I was shitting myself. I was like, oh my God. Hey, I'm Hrad. I'm from Australia. She goes, tell me a little bit about your work. And she's got like, she's beautiful. She's got this aunt, like an auntie presence to her where it's like, tell me. That shit. You're like, oh my God. Um, I'm a spoken word poet. And she goes, what is your poetry usually about? I'm like, you know, I advocate for blackness and black women living in Australia. And I'm trying to like give her the spiel because I'm in a very black room. So shit has to hit here. And they will tell me if it doesn't hit because they're very vocal <laughs> yeah. in London about yes. when it's not good. Right. You will know. Okay. <laughs> it won't be whispers and chit chat. It will be loud. She's like, okay, well, you know, it seems to be like you're on the same wavelength as the event. Cool. We're going to give you two minutes on the mic just because we already have an established thing. Do your thing and enjoy. And she just like signs me off. And I'm looking at her like, okay. And she goes, I'm going to let you know when you're up. We're sitting in the back of the room. I am palm sweating knees weak it i am sweating so much my curls are getting tighter <laughs> this is this is nerve-wracking okay and i've never been in a room so loud as a response to poetry right. like people are vocally responding as people are speaking that doesn't happen here people treat poetry like a reading so everyone for the most part is quiet when you perform they give you this there, it's like, oh, yeah, come on, let's go, say that one more time, run it. Like, people are, like, actively with you. Yeah. That is very scary because if you're not a performer, that will throw you all the way off because you expect attention, mm. right? The acknowledgement is the clap, the conversation afterwards. Yeah. 
our culture, the response is immediate. It's through the process, right? And that's the thing about this black culture thing, right? So when I went on stage and I was talking, and like at, at, at one point, this guy standing up and goes, run that back. Like, Come on, let us hear that again. I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm like, whoa. Reload a so poem. I, I got to reread lines because they want to hear it again. Whoa. Right? And I'm just like, what the? <laughs> this is nuts. Like, their engagement with me was vigorous. Like, you could feel them viscerally while I'm on stage. I'm hearing people, mm, come on. I'm hearing how people feel. I'm not just judging the temperature of the room based on the silence or the body language. I'm hearing right. how I'm making them feel. Right. And what poem are you performing? I was, there was this one, O2 um, Black Women. And it right. was just like a tribute that I had written. Funny enough, I had not done this poem in a long, long, long time. Like I've written this poem for an exhibition, maybe like my third year into poetry. And I had banked it. I was like, oh, like it's not for every room because it's for black women. And I'm not in any room where I can speak to black women. So I just chucked it away because no, I'm not going to get the, the opportunity to talk to them. Yeah. It's only usually me. I'm the black woman I'm talking about. Four. You know what I'm saying? Like, so where the fuck am I going to say this poem? <laughs> So being in a room where I'm like, yo, black women, go ahead and shit. It's for you. Let's get it. Um, and they felt me, yo. It was like, it was visceral. Like, there was yelling and screaming and people getting up on their feet and like people asking me. Like, it was, I'm the guest. I walked out and then I did an interview for them, like backstage, randomly. They're like, who are you? Where did you come from? Like, you would get, I was getting those like those moments like who the who are you, and what was that <laughs> like that type of shit where it was like just pure recognition of my art that was like whoa and like some lady was like you're not even on the run sheet and you are the highlight of this event Oof. you're not on the we don't even know who you are this is the intro and you are the highlight of this show that is crazy I, I had two minutes on a mic and I was the top to them. I was it. I was the show. And I got hit up. I literally just spoke to one of the organizers a few weeks ago. And she goes, we want to do a show with you. When you come down to London, we're going to do a show where we introduce you to our community. Like two minutes got me a recognition that I probably had to fight for here for years. Two minutes. All it took was two minutes. We're contrast. talking about like, we're talking about, they offered me a radio interview. Mm. This lady's a podcaster in London who wanted to sit down and talk about my work with me. Yeah. You know, I had done this random like camera thing. There were photos being taken. People hit me up. You know, they want to organize a book launch for me. Like it was like this. Yeah. They didn't need more proof of my skill set. That was it. You know what you're doing. Yeah. You know what you're talking about. Mm. It was, oh, oh my God. Like, there was nothing like that for me. That is one of the greatest performances I've ever had in my career. That is like top five. Because the poem I wrote, who I wrote it for, was in the room for the first time. And I got to talk to them. And I got to be felt by them. That's unreal. Like that's like up there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I've done like Asia was incredible. Like Bali was astounding. But again, it was a matter of like, whoa, shock. I'm literally like, whoa, who is she? And I kept having those moments on tour, even in Australia. It's like, who is she? Because I think, I don't know. There have been some phenomenal winners for the national champ that I've met that are truly like wordsmiths of their craft. And I aimed to low-key be on them or better. So like, I enjoyed that moment of like, okay, who is she? 
like that moment of like, yo, you really holding space up and you're going to be memorable. Like, and that's what I wanted to do is like, I want to be the bar. Like when you think of Sydney Oprah house, poets winning, you need to think of me. That's I'm the bar like that. You need to aim to do what I did on stage because I know I wouldn't have that opportunity again. And meaning I'm like I, I said on tour, my job is to keep the door ajar open for black women to come in. And then as I kept winning and I kept touring in those rooms, I was like, no, I need to stay in this room. So when the person comes in, they have me as a part of the audience because what they're going to go through is being the only black woman again. Mm. So I need to stay in the room. So we change the climate of the room. To the room looks different. So if every winner comes and stays in the room and then somebody else takes the stage, we change the room. And that is how you change the room. And I only learned that once I went to Black Jam because that's what happened there. Is one black woman took the stage and she became the audience, put another black woman on the stage and they kept doing that in rotation. Right. Now they have a whole bunch of women that can be on stage and still be the audience. And the new generation of women keep doing the same thing. And that's what we need to start here. The contrast is there is a culture of black women, black artists taking up room and building the spaces they wish that they had and really doing that well. And we are still in a space of like, we are the one or two in the room. And people think that's progress. And I mean, sure, but how much progress? And how many black women? Mm. The difference here is we're not just encouraging people who write to keep writing. We're, we're actually needing to birth artists, black artists. We need to encourage we need to have the conversation where we have one, tell them that their voice matters. Two, that they have a story to tell. Three, that there are people that will be willing to listen to it. Four, is that you can make longevity out of that thing that you do. Because other people that don't look like us have always been told that they can do anything that they've wanted to do with their life. But we've been taught we must do what is necessary for our survival. We have not been fed the same script. So we do what we need to do to survive. And art is about living. Art is living. We are the breath of communities. And black bodies don't know how to live. We are in constant survival mode. Our instinct to survive, to self-preservate, exceeds our ability to exist as just human beings who create and create well. So we have to start rewriting the script as we talk about inclusion and cultural safety is we must birth artists. We must birth them and cater and look after them while they learn to crawl and walk and run and sprint. And that we must make space for them when they've learned how to sprint real well is to give a medal for it mm. and not to bank them somewhere else and turn them into the only black body acceptable for winning. And that's the difference here is that we don't want to admit that we have buried black artists for generations. And we continue to do so because we have not allowed them permission to exist. And that is the contrast, is people outside are sharing their survival into how they transitioned into living and have created an echo chamber of people living who embed community and prioritize it and celebrate intrinsically who we are, which are creators. But there is no space to build a playground when you don't even know if you have a home. can't it's just not possible mm -hmm. so while we're maintaining this focus on what is necessary our playtime is non-existent mm -hmm. so you ask yourself why the rage because we don't get to play dog 
what happens when people don't get to smile? They frown often. Yeah. Because there is no reason to smile. Our creation and our and our prioritization for black art is crucial. We talk about survival. We are the first brick that no one recognizes. Somebody else gets to put another brick and then you get to celebrate in the air-conditioned room while I watch you from outside. The audacity that we are the heartbeat of shit, but we're still looking from the outside in. Hoping somebody will be like, whoa, 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 there's six black people. She's the best. Let's take her in the room and put her and leave everybody outside. Well, there's 60% mediocre motherfuckers inside this room, right? And it's okay for them because they're trying. So we got to recognize attempt. Our attempt isn't recognized. There is such little room for error as a black or brown body. Like little room for error. You do not get to break. You do not get to be tired. You do not get to slip off. You don't get to just disappear off the map, then come back again, and people have the space held off for you. That is not how this works for us. Other bodies can be tired, human. We empathize, we connect, we, re, we, we, we rebirth space for them to come back into. We don't have that. The margin for error is non-existent. One slip up on stage for me could be the thing that doesn't get me hired again. So when I say I was building a legacy, some people hear that and think, oh, ego, you want to be better than everybody else. I have no choice but to be better than everybody else. If I'm not the most memorable winner, you're not calling me. Come on now. If I'm not the best person that's been on the stage spitting bars, if I don't give you goosebumps and make you well, you're not going to remember me. Let's cut the shit. It don't matter how funny I am. It don't matter that I dress well, come on time and shake everybody's hand that I don't even know, that doesn't even know me. If you don't feel me here, you're not going to call me back in here. Stop playing. There is no second chances for me. This is my win. This is my opportunity. There is no second chance. I don't get to fumble this bag. I won't get another one. I can't win this shit again. This is it. So when I'm like, I'm on stage and you must feel me. Sydney Oprah House must get on their feet for me. There is no other choice. You must. When you think of this show, you think of me. There is no other choice. Do you know how hard that is? There's no room for error here. So when you talk about black bodies, understand that we survive on the, the idea that we must be the greatest to ever do it, to ever be able to do it. And you get to just try. <laughs> so that takes us from Australian touring to touring internationally to the journey to the Opera House. Mm. Tell us about that. Uh, that getting to Sydney was my um, sign-off. But it was my sign-off because it was my first time my mother seen me on stage. My mom had never seen me perform besides that one moment where I won nationals in my living area with my friends. So I'd flown my family out. Black-ass shit. I flew my family out, booked them a hotel to bring them to Sydney so that they could be there for that moment because I knew I had to prove to my mother that if I was investing my time into this thing that's called a frugal thing called art, the art world as an opportunity for career, I had to prove to her that I was the best. 
I couldn't just tell her that I was good at it. She had to know that I was the best because she knew in her mind without being able to articulate if I wasn't the best, I wasn't going to get far. She knew because she knows what it means to be black. She's been that her whole life. So she wanted me to do careers in which failure was either a dropout or success was means you were good as hell. So if I became a doctor, it means I was a top percentile of my, my class. There's no doubt about it. Going to med school is hard. No one could debate my greatness if it was, I, was, I was a doctor, right? So they chose, black people choose careers, people of color choose careers that are arguably create stability no matter what, where you are in the world, right? And will have no argument about how good you are. That's why we don't pick things that are subjective. We pick med medical school, law school, even though it is subjective, but in our minds, it's ingrained that if you make it there, you gotta be good. So I had to prove to her that I was not just good, that I was the greatest. That's pressure. And my urge to her was, you're going to see me do something, even though you don't understand most of the words that are going to come out of my mouth, you're going to feel that I'm the greatest in this room. And you're going to know it. Because you're going to feel everybody else before me. But when I get on stage, it's going to hit different. And not just because I'm your daughter, because you're going to feel everybody in the room change when I get on stage. Right? And it was my opportunity to sign off to the people that watched me on, like, on video. I was where it was supposed to start for me. I was supposed to be at Sydney to start the journey and end in Sydney. That was supposed to be the end of my Australian tour, right? But because I missed it because of vaccination, I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to do this. And I didn't really know that I wanted the standing ovation in Sydney until I got to Sydney. I was like, I want a standing ovation because I deserve one. I told Miles, I'm, like, I'm going to get one. And I got three. So I accomplished three standing ovations around the world in my time. I, I did it. But Sydney was different because Sydney had people that invested in poetry, had the next title winner, had my family, right? And then had my sign off. This was different. This standing ovation was going to be different. So I needed it to happen, but I didn't know why I needed it to happen. Because ego was like, the, the egotistical answer is, shit, I'm the greatest. I deserve one, to be honest. But that wasn't what it was. Me getting everybody to stand up was almost welcoming the new generation of poets so they can have a seat. So I need everybody to get up and to realize you getting up was making space for the people I was opening the door for. Because they can't come in when the whole room is taken up. Where are they going to sit? They can't be sidelined because then I didn't do my job. So I was letting you know, get up. Because if you got up for me, you won't get up for the next me who comes up on stage. But you got to make room for her because she's going to get off the stage and sit down next to me. And if there's no seat for her, where's she going to be at? You feel me? So when I got to Sydney Oprah House, I, we had a, you know, our own version of Black Jam here. And I had the audience. Like my first row was uh, a, a beautiful biracial couple and their black son. And I did a first time. I had been wanting to write a poem about having a black child. And the inspo was this little black boy who was sitting in the front. And I was like, yo, one day I'm going to have a son who was going to use my bones to build a throne. And I wrote that poem on stage for that little boy. But essentially, that little boy was my brother. That little boy was my son. That little boy was every black boy that I had taught in my life. Is that you have the opportunity to use corpse where death lived to create a reality in which you are not just surviving but existing. More than that. So when I got that, when I got that standing ovation in that room, and one of the guys who was in the audience was a competitor. I didn't know that. And he was the clapping the loudest, got up and he was like, I have never seen anyone like you before in my life. And I was like, that 
is what I want. Every time that you watch me, I want that. Might not be the, no, you've never seen anybody like me. When he said those words, I was like, it's not even about being the greatest. It's about being, no one is ever going to see anybody like me. I'm not, you cannot copy me. You cannot duplicate me. And that is the greatest compliment is that I'm not trying to build other Huda the goddess. Mm. I'm trying to just allow other people to be and do it how they are going to do it. So when I got to Sydney Oprah House, I was around these poets and I'd done a freestyle backstage. When I showed them, I was like, this is what the type of poet I am. And it was an opportunity for people to see why there is nobody like me. Is that you might write better than me. You might know books better than me. You might have read more than me. Shit, you might be better in English than me. But you're never going to be me. And that is my O2, right? That's, that's, that's what I was going to do. So when I got on stage, I'm like, these five, six hundred people are going to get on their feet to make space, but to also recognize there will be no otherhood of the goddess. There will be none. And that was my sign off into survival. I exist here. This is my room as much as it is yours. And I didn't give an attempt. I completed a process. This was not the beginning. This was the middle of the story. There's no full stop, really. This is a continuation. So I'm just letting you be a part of the process to say one day you saw who the God is a Sydney Oprah house. This was the common. You get a chance to be a part of the calm. And I did, but I do best. I gave a tribute to my mother. I gave a tribute to the space. And I did art like I would do it. I freestyled for 15 minutes, got off stage, and got my standing ovation. And I sat down content. The people knew who I was because I gave them the reason I won, which is because of a two and a half minute freestyle poem when I made it to top five. So I signed off how I started. And that was a moment that I will remember for the rest of my life because I was exactly who I was meant to be. With no apologies and no edits and no filter, I was exactly who I was supposed to be in that time. And that was the greatest thing that I could have done to sign off that, but to also be in the middle of my own process. Because there was still more tours to do. There were still more shows to do. There were still more people to make an impression on. But Sydney Opera House was like, oh yeah. And Miles had a conversation with me afterwards. And he said, one of the people that is a founder on the board, he said to me, um, he messaged, she messaged me and said to me, I was, the show was incredible. This is like verbatim. The show was incredible. And as always, you did a great job. I came tonight to see Huda perform live. Because I wanted to see how her charisma and passion translate on stage. And to me, she was why that show was where I was. was. Like, she was like, that is the highlight of the show. She's like, I came to see Huda in real life. Mm. And that is why she won. And to me, that's like, come on now. Absolutely. I had to deliver because there were people waiting for me. And if I said that before, people were like, oh, you cocky. Like, you won. Who cares? But there were people... I had seen people that saw me perform four times during that festival that came to see me four different times. I was mm. like, bro, you already seen me. I'm not yeah. going to be that different. Like, yeah, it's a different poem, but four times. And that family came and bought other family that I performed at the Black Jam for to see me perform again. And I was like, That's, this is it. I'm cool. This is, this is the win. Like, performers who got after me, the person who went after me, I have done my dues to set the bar. 
internationally that poets that come from this country are like no other because we have no opportunity to talk about the things other people in the world are talking about. So when we get the stage, we are real and we are raw and we are unfiltered and we say everything that needs to be said. And I, I did that unapologetically in every space that I was in. So um, it's in the Oprah house. I was felt. And um, yeah, that, that was one of the greatest accomplishments because my mom was there. And my mom like recorded on her like Android phone and like <laughs> sent it to everybody. And she's like, "Hey, back off on Android." Yeah, like her hers is like like ancient, prehistoric, like sort of that new one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And she did the whole like sending it to everybody, and we never had a conversation about that event. We never talked about Sydney, me and my mom. All right. But she had a conversation with everybody around, and that's what I needed because I knew when it wasn't a conversation for me she realized the magnitude of what I was doing for the first time. Where this wasn't a hobby. This wasn't leisure. This wasn't a risk. This was me. <laughs> and that's what people look at as art. It's a risk. Like people are like, oh, damn, you brave. And I, I didn't say I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. Like, what do you, I'm an artist. This is not. And I had a panel in Singapore. And um, they're like, what is the most frustrating thing about being an artist? I was like, this idea that I have to accept poverty as an artist, is just <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely. It's beyond me. Because let me explain something to you. I came out of poverty. If you think I'm about to redo that shit again, you yeah. got me fucked up. Mm. This is not a head do I missed. <laughs> I will not do poverty again. And mm. this idea that we have to accept that we are going to get paid less, recognized less. And I'm like, yo, you really put the variables like I'm black woman and Muslim and an artist. Damn. Cut me some slack somewhere. Shit. So you expect me to function in these spaces where I am the entertainment, I am the energy, I am the personality, I am the heartbeat. I come out and give you my soul, my heart, and bury it out to strangers just so you can pay me the least out of everybody? What? The audacity. The audacity to keep treating artists like we are not the only thing that slightly makes people not go to bed. Like you, you hire us for conferences where for like four hours people are just like <laughs> monotone voices and shit. Right. And we're the only people that keep people from falling asleep. Mm. That's something they're paid to be at. Yeah. Yeah. How? I don't understand how we're still in this day and age where we're still arguing the validity of artists. I don't understand it. Yeah. It just if it defies anything to me that's logical. Like it's we continue to 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 bear the burden of like giving ourselves our bodies to still have to argue that space like and how much it's worth and where we can be at and whether we have venues and the biggest difference is like in europe and asia artists are respected people they might not be paid as much as they should be yet but they're at least respected so there's like a closer step to like they can create something yeah here, we don't even got that shit. Right. It's like, God damn. Mm. So we're broke and we don't like this. Nuts. We don't got shit. And we're still having these debates about growth. But again, post-colonial, I mean, it's still in colonialism, but Australia right now is still trying to create. We are still seeing the generation of pioneers for poetry, for dance, for art, for film, for media. So there's still a lot of work to be done in that sector. But um, Australia has to start being honest. We, start, we have to start sitting in the uncomfortable a lot more. And this idea that we're this mellow, go, like, go happy shit is annoying as fuck. This like, oh, we, you know, we just don't want to like cause a problem. But you're happy to cause colonization. <laughs> Get, be fucking for real. Like what? <laughs> we don't want to talk about... I want to rock the 
boat. You, you know, rocked the shit out of the we boat. We want to move the date. You, you, know? oh. you rocked every boat possible. Yeah. Shit, we got traumas against boats. Yeah. It's probably why black people don't swim no more. You rocked up here on boats, and now you got problems with them. Oh, <laughs> ain't that about a bitch? That's your preferred method of transport. <laughs> what? The audacity. <laughs> and it's like things like like invasion the approaches. It just profoundly like confuses me mm. as to why we're still having these conversations. Yeah. Like there wasn't the, the pro here is like Australia has the opportunity to look around the world and see what has been working to fix what has been broken in this country and learn from it. But because we're not even starting the conversation, yeah. we are at this like stalemate of garbage. Like just we're not talking about anything. Mm. We don't want to. And the people that talk about it, like some lady, there's a post online and some lady's response is, I'm tired of feeling guilty for celebrating Australia Day. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. The audacity for people who are mourning to, to just request. They're really requesting that you move the date. Can you imagine if the first thing the community was like, let's just abolish the whole Australia Day as a whole. Let's just get rid of it. Mm. The upright. Like, all you do... It's drink forexes and hot barbecues, which you can have on any other day. There is no significance. And the same people that say, oh, what, the great Australia, you don't, you have never read a history book in your life. What are you celebrating exactly? Meat pies? Like, be fucking for real. Yeah. It's not an argument we should be having anymore, and it's ridiculous that we're still having it. But again, this is also differences between being in other parts of the world, is you get to see the conversation people are having. I told somebody I'm a cultural competency coach. They're like, oh man, y'all are just starting that? We've been doing critical race theory and teaching people about cultural safety. Right. And I'm like, dude, we can Google right now how many people do my job and we'll see if you can find another two. We're so premature and so much. So yeah, the, the world has told me a lot about how much work we needs to be done here and what it takes to be a pioneer in this community. So there's a lot to work to be done. Right. A lot of it. So being an academic and an artist you've got two hats there are you doubling down on the artist side and how do you reach back to the the academic side if that's the case i mean like what if if one of my first priorities right now also as an artist is birthing black poets i have to start with kids essentially i feel like it is an easier connection to have with and, and to con it's really hard to convince a 27 year old that's convinced themselves that they should be a lawyer and have been a lawyer that they should abandon that old side you know add poetry to it on the on the side you know yeah, what i mean yeah so there's a sense of like my jobs go hand in hand as a black poet in this space um i have to educate people by simply one existing my 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 existence is a political statement so that that already holds a responsibility in terms of education and i've never limited my me saying that I'm an educator to one aspect of education. So there's definitely like, I will never stop teaching cultural competency and cultural safety because it's necessary in the rooms that I'm in. Mm. All it's doing is it's creating a different avenue and a different range in which I do that. Like that might be, you know, building a show. Like I'm thinking about building a show talking about black hair. And the, 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 the point of the show is one, like poetry. Yeah. But also the other point is bringing a conversation that's extremely crucial to the black community to light. Um, and allowing people to be a part of the conversation. And we, we're we going to challenge this idea that if people knew better, they would do better. I'm going to help them know better so they can do better. Right, right. Because we weaponize incompetency in this country. It's like if people don't know, we can't be mean to them. I don't give up about that. But since that's the argument, let's let's talk about it. Mm. Let's create an educational thing where people come be, come to a show for an hour, get entertained, laugh at me trying to do my hair for an hour. 
And then let's have a conversation about black hair and its placement in education and workplaces and discriminatory nature. Let's introduce the things that happen in New York City with bills against discriminating with people with natural hair. Let's introduce that and as a conversation. And art is a great way to entertain people and sucker them into learning. So it's like, if I can do that collectively, is convince, teach people that knowing that they're learning and then sitting on a panel and having an audience ask me questions. Why did this show come about? What's the point of it? We can then start to trickle conversation. And I've learned that I, you, you never know who's in your audience. It's one thing, man, to artists. If mm. I was to ever write like a, a book for artists, things I know that I wish I had known, yeah. one of them would be never underestimate who is in your audience. You never know what those people could do for you yeah. when they'll call you mm. and where they are at in life. Never, like I've done shows with six people in my audience. Six. Yeah. And I've given them the same show that I would give at Sydney Opera House. Because I don't know who those six people are. Yes. And also, yes. they came to see me. Yes. They deserve for me to show up on my best. Yeah. And that's a thing, a big part of like when you grow up, at, when you're building arts or academia, is like you have to have an ego death. But you have to know and understand that no matter how good you are, there are some spaces in which you are bigger than that you need to be in. Yes. It's just a part of it. And, and not to let that hit you so hard. You know, like, I'm great, but I've done shows where there's only been a couple people. And I'm not mad at it. It just is what it is. I don't come to a show expecting that a bunch of people are here to see me. I just come to a show aiming to do what I do, share poetry. Mm. The same thing with education. I don't expect everybody to show up willing to learn. But if I've got two people and those two people have a conversation with a bunch of people, then that room grows. And you got to be patient with it until it gets to that space. And that's a really hard thing. When you know that what you're doing without any argument needed, is necessary. So you have to have a conversation with yourself as an artist, as an educator, and be like, you have to humble your ego, right? And then this is funny, right? When you then get as big as you have always known you deserve to be and get to be able to showcase it, humbleness becomes a disservice. If you're too humble in rooms where everybody moves with confidence, you're going to be ignored and forgotten in a corner. Right. So if you just come in and do it, for example, you go to a festival, yeah. you do a great set, yeah. you just go home. Biggest fucking disservice. People do it all the time where they just do the set, say thank you and leave. Nah, be felt, talk, engage, interact, right. take the photos, sit sign. In, sit in that space with people's sit. experiences. Did that with a comedian last night, was doing a show in development. He stuck around afterwards, like even in the show, like asked questions, like brought up some notes, like, I'm just going to read out a few premises. Just tell me if this will, and then some hit, some didn't. He's like, okay, that won't be in the show. And then, then sits down afterwards, like, you know, takes an effort to like, remember my name from when I'm posting stories and, and things like that. Like, yep. That stuff speaks volumes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and no matter how big you get, do that. Yes. Don't ever get so big that you forget to do that. Mm. Some of the greatest artists I love because of how they interact with their fans, yeah. their supporters. And sometimes you get so big that little things dishearten you. Like I've been to shows where the mic didn't work or oh, stop working mid-set, take the mic off, make a joke, sit in the middle of the audience and start bantering. I give my audience what they come for, yeah. which is huda. Yeah. So I work no matter what happens in the room. I don't care. We, we're going to make this show move. Yeah. And that is your, like, I, my goal is to have... Um, like shows where I can sell out like 2,000 room arenas, right? I will do the same thing I do now, then. I will get off stage and meet people who sign books, laugh with them, take selfies like I do now. That's not going to change because people don't just come because I'm a great artist. People watch me on my Instagram and laugh at the rants that I have and quote them back to me. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I was in Singapore and some lady saw a post I made and she's like, oh my God, I saw that post. And it was so funny because it, it felt like you were such, you were real. And I was like, yeah, I am very real. And there's a disconnect when you get to a certain level of like success or up top that yeah. we start to have with the people around us. Mm. Like I'll never stop doing community shows. I'll never stop going around the block to that guy who's got 40 people every month that know me and like me. I'm going to, I'm always going to go there. Because I know I'm going to have the best time, the best jokes. And even if nobody buys the merch, that's where my soul gets revived. Those are the people that share your stuff more than anybody because they know they can't afford the book. Those become your marketing team without you needing to hire them. Those people are jewels that are necessary. And most people don't, they undermine that, man. Like when people message me, I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm in there. What's up? How you doing? What's going on? We're having a full-blown conversation. Right. And I don't ever want to get to a point, like I might, not, I, I might get to a point where I can't follow everybody back. But yeah. I will always read my messages. I will always have a conversation with that kid who, you know, wanted to say hey and take a photo of me after I got off stage. Those people are your community. They're your troop. Those are the people that make things move for you. Yeah. And e an ego death is when you've done shows for six people. So when you get to an audience, there's 150 people there. You got no choice but to be grateful that 150 people are here and they're watching you and they rock with you. So if I do a show now and post it and only 40 people come, I'm still be good. Because listen, man, I've done shows for six people. 40 people to me is a come up. I'm good. And I expect the fluctuation. And some people don't get that. Like, it, it is a hard thing to get to when it's like your bag mm. is connected to it. Because mm. how many people come is the determines... Is the sales? Is the revenue? Yeah. And yeah. that is hard. And I absolutely get that. But it is like we're in a climate where artists are really pushing to make things greater. It's where collaborations are important. Social media is presence is important. Word of mouth is crucial. Going back to your home bases. Like I just did an event for uh, Click Old Delete and I'd done that show like three, four years ago. Mm. Like, and I still go home, back to that event because every time I go back there, my soul gets fed. I write a new poem. I meet new people. I get a bunch of new followers who share my stuff. I'll never stop going back there. And that was never the motive. The other stuff was never the motive. I just liked their space. So I'll always go back to the space. But, you know, like it's easy to disconnect and it's easy for this thing that we love to become such a job that it's easy to just be so critical of it and not be in the moment. And it's hard, like you have to kind of go back to, to, to scratch and like really humble yourself about it. That no matter how big you get in this art industry, sometimes you still have to do things that are very regular. And that's cool. You know, keeps you keeps you grounded. I think it's very necessary, you know. But like I said, ego deaths and ego rebirths are so necessary. They like... I've had them so many times. When I lost my first time, I was like, yo, so you're telling me I'm not good enough to win state? This is bullshit. And also, I've got standing ovations under my belt. Mm. Yeah, and I can't win state championship? I'm getting eights? That's ridiculous. But it is like, it's necessary. It's really like, yeah, it's where your growth happens. It's where some of your greatest moments of learning and you get people that you never knew would be watching you. You know, there's some wins in there, man, that are like magical. Like I've, I've been in like on stage and had a kid write her first poem while listening to me for the first time. I've had some like W's where like, this is why I do this shit. Mm. I'm really changing people's lives. Like I'm getting paragraphs from people like, yo, I just want to let you know that I was going through a really hard time. And if it wasn't for your set tonight, I'd, I think I would have been really down a duck path for a long time i've had those moments of people like pure moments of clarity where i i feel like i've influenced and changed somebody's life and that that's priceless 
forget that it's six people. Those six people's lives might be completely different because of that one moment that we shared and that conversation that we had that was genuine and beyond that. You know, artist therapy for the soul. And as a therapist, you must show up at your best every single time because they deserve that from you. And that's a hard responsibility because we are therapists to ourselves through our art. Then we use our arts to be therapists to others. Mm. That's a lot. Mm. So self-care in these spaces is also as crucial as it is. So I, you know, I recharge because like I said, I'm sitting in therapy sessions with 150 people that didn't even know they were about to enter therapy. They didn't even know we was about to really dig deep. Like, this is hard for people to hear, you know, like the most requested thing recently, people are like, oh, we want to hear love poetry from you because that's not something you'd share a lot. And I was like, yeah, but please understand that my, my love poems will not be like the love poems that you're used to reading. So there will be a lot of confronting things for me and then for you because I'm going to counsel myself through my art. And then you're going to be confronted through my art, which will then have to be the catalyst for you to counsel yourself. That's difficult. Be prepped for that. I am the therapist without no degree. <laughs> that is a lot of responsibility. People drop a lot on you, you know, at unexpected times. I've counseled people through death right after getting on stage. Like, people are like, oh, my God, I just lost somebody. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, damn, okay. So, mm-hmm, cool, yep. I've had some, like, some serious, I, like, this is, sorry, trigger warning. Um, I, I do these events at, like, Gold Coast every, every couple months. Mm. Really cool, small uh, venue. Um, and there was a girl who I'd seen a few years ago. I done a poem about like my my struggle with like mental health, you know, being like having ADHD, you know, PS like a bunch. I have a cocktail shopping list full of mental health issues, okay? Um, <laughs> and I had done this performance and I remember her vaguely. Um, and she had like come and spoke to me. She goes, Oh man, I've been writing and I just stopped. I don't know why it stopped creating. And I said to her, what I would always say to people when they have a pause, I'm like, man, sometimes you must exist to write about what you existed in. And it's okay that you took a break. That does not mean it's the end of your journey. I, I can only write about what I've lived through. If I'm not living and I'm pausing my life, your pen gets tired because you're writing about nothing. Mm. The ink will dry up on you. So it's okay. Take a break. But also start to write about the things that are going good because the relationship we have with that pen sometimes is it is a place for us to express the darkest parts of our existence that we cannot afford for people to see because then we think people are going to like us less. Because we're not always this beautifully colored thing. We're not always the butterfly. And she was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to I'm start writing again. And I went back to that same venue like probably a year later. And I found out that she had um, committed suicide. And one conversation that the lady shared with me, she says she remembered you. And you telling her to write about the good stuff. And she had started writing again because of you. Because that conversation you guys had. And... Great. Thankfully, you she had moments of really beautiful writing moments because of that, because she had stopped doing art in general. And I was so connected to that because you don't know what you will say and how that will change someone's life. And I've been trying while teaching poetry to teach the writers, the people that are wanting to heal, the people that need to heal, that deserve to heal, that your relationship with the pen does not have to be this exhausting Um journey of unpacking cuts that need to just be shut off that your your poem can doesn't have to be a distraction from your reality or such a deep dive into it that it brings you back to where you are your pen is all between it's the waiting room before you see the therapist it's the conversation with the therapist it's the 
you know, the cry you had that makes you feel lighter. It is the, you know, the lunchtime meetup with your friend as you feel like you just lost weight after this conversation. Mm. It is all those moments of relief, baggage, and in between. And to, to, an, to artists who are still fighting for respect and recognition and profit and all of this stuff, this what becomes really crucial to maintain them as we remind them. There are nobody, there's not many people who look after people who look after people. <laughs> Which means our energy dies quicker. Mm. Because no one's looking after the people who use their existence to birth other good people. So it's easy for us to lose those. That's why suicide is so high amongst doctors who save people. Amongst people who dedicate their existence into putting into the world. And we're not teaching those people how to revive themselves. And where to have a relationship with their, with their crafts, with their art, with their skill set that is positive, that is enlightening, that is important. So while I work on building a generation of black writers in this country, it's to teach them that they can get up on stage and write about that butterfly they saw that morning that made their morning a little bit better after having a fight with their mom, as much as they can write about the fight they had with their mom. And that both those stories are as crucial as each other because they make the art wholeheartedly complete. Yes. And that is a, such an important reminder for myself that my audience deserves to connect with me on something positive. We don't have to trauma bond. Mm. You don't like me because we've both been through shitty shit in the world. Yeah. You like me because I remind you that there is a way to come out of that. And my bond and my connection with my audience isn't trauma. It is healing. It is a realization of our greatness and our capacity to be and do more than where we have been in darkness. And that is a reminder that a lot of artists themselves need. And for me, when I get on stage, is my set cannot look completely depressing all the time, even though it is true. But um, I don't want people going home after listening to me feeling heavy. I want them to feel seen and visible and spoken to, not for, to. And given that opportunity. A lot of people think poets want to, some poets want to be the voice for others. I'm not others. I cannot be the voice for others. I'm the voice for me and you will see yourself in my truth because we are intertwined inevitably. Because this world has a universal truth about it that is undeniable no matter where we are in the world. We have both hurt. We have both loved. We have both been loved and unloved. We have both been broken. We have both healed. That is intrinsically universal. You connect with me because you can see yourself in me because you and I are one and the same, yet very, very different. And that's okay. So I don't speak for people. I would rather that people speak for themselves. So. <laughs> in this process of making a documentary on you for mm. the last six months or so, uh, we've never done a sit-down solo interview like a talking head interview and it it initially went that way and it's largely been it's it's only been these duo conversations that have been happening in the way that we've been documenting the film and through this process today i've kind of been realizing why that's been the case because there's all these points and these questions that i've had but you've just hit them sometimes like right at the moment where i'm going to ask you about the thing <laughs> you go right into the thing and as you say there's no following huda so i'm going to end by thanking you and then asking you if you'd like to share a piece to close this out. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be 
transparent. It's actually not as often do I get the opportunity to talk long enough that I tell people some things that really ground me. Most conversations end at a superficial point in any interaction. So they don't, mm. there's not a, enough time for human connection anymore because we're all in a rush to get somewhere else where we kind of remember where we were before we left. You know what I mean? And it's important to have these points of like, important points of clarity. So if anything, this conversation has inspired and reminded me while I'm writing and polishing my book is like, over time I've learned that the type of wounds I have require attention to be cleaned. They require time to be studied. That you cannot stitch a scar that you don't know the depth of, that you don't know the origin of, that you don't know how it became here. And you have to be willing to accept that that cut one day will become a scar that will have a story of its own. And I don't want that to be the thing that makes me human. Is how many times I've studied a wound, cleaned it, stitched it up for it to turn into a scar and a point of conversation between two souls hoping we connect over our pain. I would like our conversations to be points of admiration of the beauty of the world that we have that is moment. It is butterflies and unexpected days. It's rainbows that show up when the sky is gray and it looks like it's mourning the loss of humanity. I want us to connect over stillness, calmness, the pause in time, that our conversations can be just breath and taking up space, that our idea of love could be thunder as much as it is lightning, as much as it is the birth of the rainbow, right after a long day of you ducking to find cover, that I'd like to connect with souls with just that. Silence, a peaceful silence, followed by a small smile and a twinkle in someone's eyes that will extend to a hug. And instead of our hearts beating and racing, they find a rhythm that is slower and they rest. That we can ease into chairs, drink our favorite drinks, and exchange conversation about everything we desire and everything that was that will continue to be that is good about the world. Because pain is not who we are. It is a catalyst of what we want to be. It's a cause sometimes. But the effect is your willingness to run through walls to find the light right behind them. So to everyone who ever listens to me, remember, that our point of connection is our humanity and how beautiful that is. And to remember to take up room and find the inner child in you and enjoy. Artists are the only people in the world who have the audacity to imagine and they follow it with a set of actions that aren't rewarded that often. It's the black bodies taking up room. You have not earned the stage because you have been broken by the world and you need to tell them. You have earned the stage because despite of being broken by the world, the stage is still yours. So, I'm Huda the Goddess, and thank you for having me. Thank you. How special. Oof. <laughs> 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 <laughs>